It's okay, you don't need to look down But things are different now Welcome back to episode two of What's Left Unsaid, a podcast of untold stories where we tell the real life stories from our family history and yours. I'm Emily Bleeker, best-selling author and host of What's Left Unsaid, the podcast, and I'm joined once again by my co-host and sister, Elizabeth Sadler. Hey, Elizabeth. Hello. Uh, Today, we are going to continue to tell the story of the real-life Evelyn Sadler, our great aunt, and reveal what happened that July afternoon in 1929 when Evelyn was found shot in her stepmother's room with her stepmother's gun. I gotta say, I'm really excited for this episode. Uh, We laid some great groundwork in episode one, but this episode is where we're really going to have an unfiltered look at what happened to Evelyn. And what happened is most likely not what you expect, and I know it impacted both Emily and I. Oh, absolutely it did. So I'm really excited for this. Um, Let's get started. To recap, Evelyn's story is part of my most recent novel, What's Left Unsaid. It was the inspiration for the back-in-time parts of that novel. Uh, The book tells a modified version of Evelyn's life story intermingled with the 100% fiction story of Hannah Williamson, present-day, you know, crack journalist, the information in the podcast is primarily from a six-page letter I found in a box of family records. And in this episode, we also have some really awesome real newspaper articles and records that I dug out of the internet during quarantine. So those are pretty exciting, too. Yes, it was very exciting when we found those. It was a, like a treasure hunt. And then last episode, we introduced Evelyn, as well as the main characters in her life and the traumatic events that led up to her shooting. At the end, we were left with three main suspects. Uh, Emily, why don't you give us a recap on Mrs. Brown? Because I particularly liked when you called her the devil incarnate last episode, so I feel like... I feel like you should do it. (laughs) Okay. Well, she was. Let's recall that Mrs. Brown was Evelyn's stepmother. Her father married uh, this stepmother after Evelyn's mother, Ada, died as the result of giving birth to her brother. That brother, if you'll remember, is William, our grandfather. It was revealed in the letter that Mrs. Brown used to beat Evelyn regularly with a horse whip for the tiniest infraction. Remember that fun bit of last week's episode? Yay! Yes, <laughs> um, and she treated her poorly all around. She used Evelyn as unpaid labor in their boarding house and was constantly accusing her of causing trouble and being rebellious. And we completely admit Evelyn was a tiny bit rebellious, but I'm kind of glad she was, you know, she was what could be described coming from, you know, an abusive home. And by the age of 14, she was just ready to be free of Mrs. Brown's beatings and put downs, as well as the oppressive amount of work that she was required to do while somehow maintaining an education. And at that time in the world, She really thought her only way out was marriage. Oh, yeah. Marriage. Exactly. And that takes us to a review of suspect number two, Harry Westbrook. Yes, Harry Westbrook. Harry Westbrook was a man who worked for the rodeo that came into town in the spring of Evelyn's 14th birthday. When they met, Harry said he was 19 years old, and then he ended up staying in town and courting Evelyn instead of going on with the rodeo. 
Mrs. Brown and Evelyn's father were pretty hesitant to let her date him, but they eventually allowed her to go on a trip to his hometown uh, with a chaperone at his hometown in Kentucky, where Evelyn found out that Harry was actually only 16 years old. <gasps> Gasp! <laughs> and his mother, Harry's mother, did not endorse the idea of her son being married so young. Evelyn ran away and had a lot of emotions about this. Wait, what? A girl having emotions in 1929? Shocking. I mean, how dare she? That's exactly what Mrs. Brown thought. <laughs> and <laughs> when she came back, she told Evelyn how embarrassed she was, that she embarrassed the family with her outburst. Yes. Uh, Mrs. Brown wasn't very concerned about Harry not being 16, though because she had other plans for Evelyn. And that's where we get to suspect number three, who is Mr. Smith. Yes, Mr. Smith. Mr. Smith was twice Evelyn's age. And in her letter, she talks about how he took her on a date alone where he tried to kiss her and she fought him off like a tiger. I love when she says that desperately. He wanted to marry her and her parents wanted her to marry him as well. He had money and she would never have to worry about things. But Evelyn was in love with Harry. So the idea of Mr. Smith, who was very old, especially to 14 year old Evelyn, she couldn't imagine ever loving him. But who would take care of her and her family forever? Yeah, that's a good question. Who would take care of her and her family forever? Because back then they didn't really have many options for women, you know, like Mrs. Brown obviously had made it her career uh, finding husbands to, you know, help her be able to stay afloat. And Evelyn had kind of picked up on that idea. Um, so that leaves us just a few days before she is shot. Uh, let's kind of pause here and talk a little bit about Evelyn's state of mind. She is devastated. She is heartbroken. Can you imagine? She is stuck with a mother who abuses her, right? A father who looks the other way and who we found out was a terrible alcoholic. So every time she talks about her father being sick, and too sick to work, truly a big part of that is his alcoholism. Then she also has a boyfriend who lied to her and led her on, really, and was like, hey, we're going to get married. Just kidding. I'm 16. And then a suitor who is far too old and in her mind too gross to be even halfway considered. So she's just left in a really terrible place at this part of the, le the letter. There's one part in her actual words where she says, as mother had never trusted me anyway, she's talking about when she just got home from this trip. She and I did not agree on anything anymore. She couldn't see why I was complaining, why I would do this, why sh I shouldn't have done that, or why I took too many baths. It was always something. I mean, I would want to take a lot of baths, too, if I was Evelyn. <laughs> Especially in 1929. I mean, I'm guessing things were kind of gross. It's a small luxury. <laughs> right? It wasn't just her mother that was weighing on her. She was also feeling physically ill as well. In her letter, she goes on to say, I got worse in both spirits and health. Daddy was getting worse. No work to do. Mother kept nagging. I did not have clothes like other girls. I couldn't go places I wanted to. I felt bad, always sick, though nobody thought I was really sick. Ugh. 
So she is at the lowest of low. So this is really brings us up to that fateful day. This is the day that Evelyn is shot. It is July 18th, 1929 at 2.30 p.m. Yeah, I, I think the best way to reveal what happened to Evelyn is to do it in her own words. Emily, I think you should reread the opening of Evelyn's letter again, because we may have left out a small portion of what she originally said. <laughs> okay, I feel a little bad. Yes, <laughs> we were a little sneaky that way. I mean, you're a fiction writer and I'm in marketing, so we can't be trusted. <laughs> uh, <laughs> what, what does that opening portion say? unfiltered. <clears throat> okay, this is what the actual opening says. Next week, I will be all of 21 living in an institution for cripples with a sixth grade education. When one is asked what Evelyn Sadler is like, you might say fairly good looking, a blonde, blue eyes, fair skin, turned up nose. Evelyn Sadler, it seems as though you'd heard that name before. Well, maybe back in 1929, you did happen to pick up a Memphis paper and read where a 14-year-old schoolgirl shoots herself over a boy. There it is. That's the there truth. Not herself. Mm -hmm. uh, what, what does she go on to say in the rest of the letter after that? Well, then Evelyn says, disappointed in love is the way the extra read. Not expected to live. Doctors say... Not one chance in a thousand to live. If she lives, she will be paralyzed from the waist down. Newspaper reporters and police trying to find evidence to prove that child victim did not pull the trigger that put her in the hospital. That line there is what spurned this idea of people not knowing who shot her. Because to some degree, even if they quote unquote knew, they didn't know. However, when you look at the newspaper article at the time, they really played up the disappointed in love angle and that she did it because of her love for Harry. Yeah, but that wasn't it. <laughs> that wasn't it at all. But let's go through the article because, you know, Evelyn clears all of it up for us later. But it's fascinating to see this other point of view through the articles. I think it's worth reading all of the way through. You guys We'll be patient with us. We'll go ahead and read that to you. So, Elizabeth, why don't you read the quotes and I'll read the narrative. Does that work? Good. Yeah. Okay. The title is Girl Fights for Life So She May Marry Cowpuncher. It is dated July 19th, a day after she shot herself. And it starts with a quote. Evelyn, darling, if you'll only get well, you and Harry can get married right away. And Evelyn Sadler, 14, who shot herself Thursday because she thought her love for her sweetheart, Harry Westbrook, 19, was making everyone unhappy, groped for her stepmother's hand and smiled contentedly. Harry, a clean-looking boy with a beardless face and sleek hair, smiled at Evelyn from the other side of the bed and nodded his head in vigorous assent. Dr. Shields Abernathy, who has been making a desperate fight to save Evelyn's life ever since she sent a 25 caliber bullet through her body into her spine, is not so sure the wedding bells will ring for the schoolgirl who preferred death to life without her sweetheart. Evelyn already has one blood transfusion. Harry, whose head is in a whirl over the events of the past 24 hours, thinks of only one thing. He wants his sweetheart to live. He stands ready to give her the next blood transfusion if necessary. He has not left her bedside long enough to drink a cup of coffee. It was love at first sight. Westbrook, 
Friday said of his 14-year-old sweetheart, Harry, nearly exhausted, sat on a chair outside of Evelyn's door at the Methodist Hospital. At any moment, he may be called upon for a blood transfusion. Folks don't believe in much nowadays, but it was true with us. And this slim boy cowpuncher who drifted into Memphis last May with Dakota Max's rodeo show straightened his shoulders and signified his intention to assume the responsibilities of marriage. You see, it is like this. When a fellow is with a show, he never gets to know anybody. I had a candy concession for Dakota Max. I quit riding, but just as soon as I saw Evelyn, I knew I wanted to settle down and have a home. I took her up to Paducah, Kentucky to see my mother on the 4th of July. You see, Evelyn is young in years, but she's got sense. I've seen plenty girls, but this little girl is okay. And there it is, guys. That's the newspaper article that confirms Evelyn's story and shooting. And man, there is a lot to unpack there. There's a whole lot. Especially because Evelyn's letter is written with so much hindsight, right? Yes. (laughs) It's written so many years later that this perspective is very different. And first thing I want to point out is how her stepmother was all, oh, Evelyn, I'm so worried. But... Again, in hindsight, Mrs. Brown, this letter was written a long time after the crocodile tears next to Evelyn's bedside. She didn't buy it, even if the newspaper did. Right? That is so weird and gross to me. And also, I am fascinated by how central Harry is to the story of her shooting here. You know, like they make it all about Harry, but it kind of makes sense. You know, I have to say, I think they were just trying to logic through why a 14-year-old girl would shoot herself. I don't think they understood what was truly going on in Evelyn's life, and they wanted to make it beautiful for the newspapers. And at least then you could say, oh, it was about love, right? Right. But here's the funny thing. Harry, after this moment where she shoots herself, is never mentioned again in Evelyn's letters. We have no idea where he went. Uh, We are not told why this supposedly perfect marriage never took place. None of it. And while I know you found an advertisement for the Dakota Max Rodeo, we haven't been able to find or confirm the real Harry Westbrook. We haven't, despite our best efforts, been able to confirm if that was his name or anything along those lines. Because as quickly as he was in her life, he was out of her life. And... She doesn't talk at all about why. Mm -mm, Not at all. I think probably one of the um, main reasons that all of this feels so weird is because Evelyn was unconscious. And so they were putting words in her mouth. Yeah, this is less than 24 hours after she shot herself. I'm surprised that she was able to say anything at all or else they just dramatized that for the newspaper's sake. But I think one of the reasons that Harry disappears from the narrative is because Evelyn shooting herself didn't have anything to do with Harry. And she kind of calls that out in her letter. Emily, I think you have that line ready. Yeah, I do. It is the same line she says where she says that the police were trying to find an alternative theory that they wanted to find out if somebody else shot her. And then she says, not a chance. Evelyn did not want to live. She said, hell couldn't be much worse than this way of living. Oh, that chokes me up. 
why don't you read the next portion of the letter where it describes her memories um, directly after waking up. She refers to herself in third person here. Myrtle and Daddy were anxious over Evelyn's condition, as well as Mother and Harry. Don't worry, baby, you'll be all right, Daddy said continuously. Daddy, do you forgive me? Do you love me? Again, she slips into a coma, and she keeps murmuring, Do you forgive me, Mother? Myrtle, do you hate Dolly? Dolly is what she always called me. Always the same answer. Sure, we love you. We forgive you. Close your eyes now and try to sleep. Oh, and that is when, at the beginning of the letter, when Evelyn goes back in time and where we get all of the information that we shared in the first episode. If you reread certain portions of that back in time um, segment, you can see that she left like all these subtle hints of her depression. Because I really think that's why they couldn't put a finger on who the culprit was in the shooting. It's because it was depression. And it was this depression taking her over. Um, so she said like things like, um, I wasn't at all well. I hadn't been well for quite some time. I was a sick piece of humanity. And she'd say, I was so sick and all. So I believe, and I think Elizabeth believes, that this sickness she describes was her depression. And we kind of all like understand why she was depressed, right? Like her mother died. She was beaten by her stepmother. Her brother was gone. Her sister was gone. Her boyfriend had lied to her. This all culminates into a troublesome trip to Paducah. I think the most poignant moment, though, of Evelyn's reflections on her own suicide attempt is when she speaks in the letter of that exact moment when she pulls the trigger. Elizabeth, would you mind reading Evelyn's retelling after the trip? We know that right around this time was when her mother was so upset with her for running away. Yeah. She said... I just thought it would be so much easier to die than go on living, making such a mess of things. If there wasn't any Evelyn, there wouldn't be any reason for mother and daddy not getting along. It was always me they fussed over. I decided that Myrtle could have my clothes and Harry could find him a girl who wasn't always sick. So on July 18, 1929, about 2.30 p.m., I took the gun that was my own mother's and shot myself in the right breast. The bullet hit my spine and paralyzed me from the waist down. And that, my dear public, is the reason I shot myself. I wasn't in love with Harry, and he wasn't the reason I did it. It was just life. Oh, that line. It was just life. Yeah. But Evelyn didn't lose her life that day. Mm -mm. In fact, she beat all of the odds. And for two, she talks about how for two years, she was in the hospital with blood transfusions, with pneumonia, heart troubles, kidney troubles. And they tried to care for her at home for a bit, but she finally ended up at the home for the incurables. But Evelyn's story isn't over just quite yet. Yeah, not yet. Um, so Evelyn's life did not stop when she ended up in a wheelchair, which is kind of interesting and awesome. So there's more to talk about. But I think we're going to talk about that next time, because she had a whole life after she became paralyzed, including more love and more wisdom and some real life research done in person by Elizabeth and I about the, uh, quote, crippled children's hospital and home for the incurables, both real places in Memphis that we visited. 
Yeah, I, I have to say the later portions of her letter are really where Evelyn reflects back on her life and reflects on her life then with this beautiful kind of sage wisdom. And this portion of the story is not at least the majority of it in what's left unsaid. It's another chapter of her life that is heartbreaking and moving and just adds a whole other layer to who she is as a person in her life post-suicide attempt. Yes, one of the things I actually love about Evelyn that really pulled me into these uh, this story and into her words is how beautifully eloquent she is uh, for a kid who spent the majority of her life terribly abused. She was neglected. She was ignored. And I think that her words are words of wisdom that we all can benefit from. So I hope you are as into this story of Evelyn Sadler as Elizabeth and I have been. We will be back next week with another episode of What's Left Unsaid, a podcast of untold stories. Uh, right, Elizabeth? Yes, definitely. Uh, I'm very excited to finish telling her story, which is really what she always wanted. And we also have a couple bonus episodes planned beyond that as well. Yes, we actually do. We are going to take a look at uh, the book. If you have read What's Left Unsaid and the true story, and we're going to put them side by side and talk about what bits of the story and uh, the book are overlap and where they are actually separate from each other. So that'll be a fun episode. Yeah. And we might convince our dad to come on as well and give some first accounts of the stories he's heard that we have found out through Evelyn's letter. Yep, we're going to invite Dr. Sadler on, so we'll give that a shot as well. Uh, well, we're going to keep digging into the facts from the past, and we're going to keep looking at them through the lens of the present, and we hope that you will join us then and find out what's been left unsaid. Girl, lay by me, listen to the sea, listen to the waves roll before I go. Today, we discussed Evelyn's depression and attempted suicide. These feelings are all too common today and are often left unsaid. If you or someone you love is struggling with depression, please visit the National Alliance on Mental Illness, www.nami.org, or the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-8255.